Well, since the beginning of this year, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians. And then quite personally, it's a wonderful book. It is chock full of clear theology, teaching us about what the gospel is and who Christ is and what he's done. And it's also a wonderful book that teaches us how to practically live out our lives within our personal lives, within our communities and family. It's a wonderful book. And you can read about Paul's time in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. So Paul spent about two years there, and he was ministering them, and he was seeing much fruit. There was much, many people coming to know Christ, but it was a very pagan place. They worshiped many pagan gods. There was a lot of prostitution. It was not a very godly city. And here we have Paul ministering here and seeing people come to, in faith. And so at this point, he is now in jail, and now he's writing to the Ephesians, trying to encourage them. They're under much pressure of temptation. There's much pressure to be able to walk this life that God called them in a new life. And now Paul's writing them to encourage them. I think we can identify with that, right? We need that encouragement because these days that we walk on it, walk in are very difficult. So at the beginning of the, this book, in chapter 1 through 3, he just talks about the good news of who Christ is. That Christ came and he died for us. That he was bruised for our transgressions. That his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And that if we come to Christ, when he changes our life, that we are radically transformed. And he calls us that we have a new life. We, li- we think differently. We act differently. He transforms us. And Paul is encouraging us and talking to them about them to have them remember what Christ has done and changed their lives. He's also talking about in these first three chapters how God has broke down all these barriers. There was a lot of ethnic barriers back then between Jew and Gentile. And he said, I'm breaking those barriers down. That we are now going to be unified under Christ. Jew and Gentile, there's going to be a multicultural unification here saying we're all under one God. We're all together in this. And he's talking about this new family that we've come in. It's a bitter, beautiful picture of this multicultural church that now is working together. So he's explaining in the first three chapters about that. But then there's a a pivot here in chapter 4 where he now begins to talk about how we are to live and how we are to practically walk out our days. So in, in, uh, verse four, in uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 1, he talks, about the, there, he talks about I therefore. So every time there's a therefore, we talk about why is it there. Because he's making a pivot from the first three books to the next three books about how we are to live our lives. And let's look at that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, so he's in Rome in prison writing this, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing in one with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But grace was given to each of you according to the measures of Christ's gift. So here he's summing up. This is who we are now in Christ. Walk worthy in it. We're all under one. We are one with God. We're on one baptism, one with the Father. And we are to walk in unity by his grace. And he's talking about how we are to walk in a manner of worthy. In other words, you want to live your your life in a way that reflects what Jesus is talking about here. And 4, 5, and 6, it's a beautiful picture of a roadmap of how we are to live our lives. Paul is giving us the how-to to live in this new life under Christ. So today, we are in the third and final week of a series called The Walk. The last two weeks, we've been talking about this, this idea of walk in love. And Chad, two weeks ago, talked from uh, 1 through 7 about that we need to walk in love and be careful of our sensuality and walking in promiscuity. And then last week, Pastor Duncan talked about walking in light, 8 through 14, and about how we need to be in the light, and that are we making good choices that are pleasing to the Lord? 
And today we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 in a series, in a sermon called Walk in Wisdom. So if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Out at the information counter there, there's free Bibles that you can have, take home, and follow along with us. So let's look at verse 15 and what God has to say for us today. Verse 15 says this, Look carefully of how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we know that out of Hebrews chapter 4 that your word is living and active and has the power to transform us. So Lord, we ask that you would transform us, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would soften us, that you would allow us to have ears to hear of what it looks like to let the old self go and to have the new, some, new self come and to walk in a way that we make wise decisions. Lord, we need you to do that work. Holy Spirit, do that work to convict us, to teach us, to guide us and to lead us. And may we hear from you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, when I was in high school, I worked at a cemetery. And there was probably five different municipal cemeteries that we took care of. So during the summer, it was outdoors. We would mow lawns. We would weed whack around the headstones. And of course, we also buried people there. One summer, we decided with a coworker of mine that we wanted a camp in the cemetery, right? Seems like a good idea. So what we did is on a Friday afternoon, we took a tent and we set it up at one of the outlier cemeteries and we set up the tent and we were going to come back in the evening and camp in the cemetery because that seems like a good idea when you're 18 years old to do that type of thing. So when we got, so when it got dark, we, I went to go pick up my coworker and we were getting ready and his dad came out and said, hey, Dean. And I remember saying, yes, sir. He said to me, don't do anything dumb, which is really good advice if you think about it because it covers everything, <laughs> Right? And you probably have said that to people too. Don't do anything dumb. You've probably been told that. Don't do anything dumb. And I really appreciate that because it covers a lot of different things. And here we have this idea that we as humans make really bad choices a lot of times. Do we not? You're probably even sitting there thinking, oh yeah, I'm thinking of one right now where I made a bad choice. Some of them are just a little bit embarrassing. Go, what was I thinking? That was, I don't know what I was thinking. But some of them have really long-lasting impact. Some of them have left scars. Some of them have been traumatic. But oftentimes we are prone to make really poor decisions. And Paul here in Ephesians 5 is beginning to sum up how we are to live our lives. He's talking about our personal righteousness, and he's bringing into summary here in Ephesians 5.15 when he says, Look carefully of how you walk, not as, wise, not as unwise, but as wise. He's saying you need to get out your binoculars and really look diligently about how you are making decisions and how you are living your lives. Something that we knew back from uh, in the, earlier in the scripture, he says, hey, wake up, oh, you sleeper. Because many times we're asleep when we walk through our Christian life, right? We're not even paying attention to the things that we're doing. We're just kind of going from one day to the next. And before we know it, we have drifted off to places we don't want to be and we're making really poor decisions. 
So God, so Paul is saying here, I want you to think about the wise decisions you're making. So what are some of those wise decisions? Well, here in, the, the, in chapter 4, in verse 21, he talks about how we are to live from the old self to the new self. And verse 21 says this, assuming that you've heard about him, which I think is really funny here that Paul puts this in here, because he just spent three chapters talking about who Jesus is. So if you're a reader of this letter, then you're reading this. Well, hey, assuming that you've heard who Jesus was, you'd be like, well, I just read three chapters about who he is. So Paul is saying, hey, listen up. Assuming that you're paying attention, this is important. And he goes on to say, as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So there's an old self that we know is corrupt, that we know is in darkness and, and it has deceitful desires. Verse 23 says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we come to Christ, there's a transformation that occurs that we come into newness. We live differently. We think differently. We act differently we behave in a new way and we behave in his likeness with righteousness and holiness and it's only done because of what he's done on the cross but we want to go back and look like look in chapter four what is the difference between the old and new self well if we look at it first of all we can talk about the old self was a liar the old self was somebody who liked to deceive people and not tell the truth and try to get away with things the new self begins to tell the truth there's conviction to say let me be vulnerable and tell you actually what's happening the old self was prone to anger. Now, anger is not a bad emotion. It's a very good emotion to have. But what does the Bible say about anger? Do not sin in your anger. So there's a place where when we get angry, if we're honest, what do we do when we're angry? We usually sin. We say things and do things that we shouldn't do. So the old self, when we're angry, we sin. But the new self, there's a peace about us. The old self is used to being somebody who's a thief, who likes to steal, connive, and get away with things. The new self is generous. We want to be giving and kind and generous to other people. The old self, there's corrupt talking, right? We say filthy things. We think filthy things. We gossip about other people. We make phone calls and say, hey, let's put down somebody. The things that we do and say are very corrupt. The new self is an encouragement. We start to talk about encourage people and build them up. Life and death and the power of the tongue and the way we use it has the power to build up and has the power to, build, to tear down. And we have the chance to be encouraging in the new self. It goes on to say that there's times where we want to take revenge on somebody, right? They're going to pay to be slanderous, to have malice, to do these evil things to people. The new self is a person that wants to forgive and be able to have a soft, tender heart. The old self, which we talked about two weeks ago, is, is promiscuous, is sensual, is doing things that God has told us not to do. The new self has self-control over our bodies. The old self walks in darkness. That's what Brick Duncan talked about last week. The old self wants to do things in darkness. The new person likes to be in the light. And last week, I love the song that we sang, open up the window, let the light in. Like, I think about that. Like, we're letting light in. Like, we're not walking in darkness. We're letting the Lord come in. The new self wants to walk in light. The old self wants to get drunk. Or sometimes we think about the addiction. We go to things, we run to things to soothe us, to deal with the life's disappointments and pain, but the new self is now filled with the Spirit of God. Paul is giving us a roadmap of how we are to walk out this Christian life. It's very clear here in, in chapter 4 and 5. Paul is giving us a criteria of how to measure our choices and decisions that we make. We need to make wise choices, and he's asking us here to do so, and he's telling us how to do so. 
And we're, so the question that we have to ask here, am I making a wise decision? So we understand what's usually right and wrong, what's sin and what's not sin. But there's also another level to making wise decisions that there may not necessarily be a moral or sinful issue, but it may not be wise. It could be a decision that leads to something, a bigger problem. Like for instance, you know, you could be a married person that has a personal trainer of the opposite sex. Now, is there anything morally wrong with that? No, there's nothing morally wrong with that at all. Is it wise? Is it wise to go out and have coffee with somebody of the opposite sex when you're married? It's nothing morally wrong with it, but it's probably not wise. And Paul is imploring us not only to walk in holiness and righteousness, but make to wise decisions because we know that the slope is slippery that we walk down. Paul talked very clearly in Ephesians that we are in a war. It is a battle, right? Can you guys understand that? We are in a battle. We're being tempted every single day in our lives. You turn on the TV, you're being tempted to buy that house and that car or that relationship. You're being tempted to go hang out on Facebook or go to Instagram. Everything is calling us and tempting us just like the Ephesians were being tempted. And Paul is trying to help shore them up so they don't fall by these temptations. So we are in a battle. Let's look at the places where he talks about it. So in 5.11, he talks about that, you know, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. In verse 14, he talks about, awake, O you super, or rise from the dead. And then in 16 here, he says, the days are evil. We also live in evil days. We also live in evil times. And we are being constantly tempted to do these things, and we are constantly being tempted to make choices. And Paul is saying here, listen, you have to take off the old self and step into the new self, not every once in a while. Think about it maybe down the road a couple months. This is a daily battle that we need to engage in. The old self has to come off every morning. The new self has to be put on every morning, and maybe even more so hourly, because God is calling us to walk in a way that we make wise choices and not be led astray. So in James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, it talks about this. Blessed a man who remains steadfast under trials. And if we were to ask all of you, we've all been under trials, if not under one right now. For when he stood the test of time, he received the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. So does God tempt you guys? No. Okay, but where does, it tempt, where does it come from? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by where? His own desires. So we have a sin nature in us, our own desires that are in within us that are inherently wanting to do things that we should not do to make poor decisions. And then it goes on even further in 15 to say, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and when sin when it's fully grown gives, brings death, brings forth death. So we understand that God cannot tempt anybody, right? It comes from within us. We know that the evil one does tempt us. Does he cause us to sin, though? No. Where does the sin come from? Ourselves. So we're being tempted by the evil one, saying, come here, come here. And our own evil desires are going, hmm, that seems like a good idea. That might be a good choice, because that might feel better, because if I don't know. And so all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a battle. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And if we're not taking off the old self and putting on the new, we're going to be easily led astray. That's why I think we need to be in community. That's why we need to be in church together. That's why we need to be in a life group. That's why we need to have other people in our lives that are helping recognize signs when we're starting to stray and go away from what the truths are. You see, the evil one wants us to be distracted. And sometimes I think we're really good at being self-deceptive, right? We're really good at making excuses for ourselves, right? 
even think about how when we eat food, ah, I'll just have a little bit more of that. Or you know what, um, I, you know, maybe that, that conversation on the phone, I, I, can, I can talk the way I want. Or be, We're constantly deceiving ourselves into thinking that we can do what we want. And we're always pushing that envelope to how far can we go without sinning. Think about when you were dating, right? And if you couples have been married or dating, there was always that question, well, how far is too far before we sin, right? And Paul's saying here, that's such a dumb question. <laughs> saying that's not a good idea. To walk wise, say, how can I be as holy and honoring to God with my body? How can I be as self-controlled? Rather than asking the question, how far can I go before I sin? But because we are so self-deceptive, because of the sin nature in us, we're always playing this game. And we have to be aware that we are playing this game. And the thing is about this game that we play, when we play with that, we often find ourselves falling back into sin. And Paul is saying we've got to make wise decisions. Here's the encouraging part. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this. No, no, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So the same sin that I, or the same temptation that I'm experiencing, you are experiencing, and all over the world people are experiencing. It's common to us. We're all under the same pressure. And it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape. So think about that. And our own evil desires are within us. We're having to fight this war. We're having to take the old self off and put on the new. And when tempted, we are not tempted beyond what we can handle. There's never an excuse to say, well, if I was too tempted, I had to give into it. That's not what the word of the Lord says. It says that he is faithful and he will always provide a way of escape. There's not, there's not an excuse. There's always a way of escape. And then it goes on to finish as, that you may be able to endure it. Hallelujah, right? How often do we want to look for the way of escape if we're honest with each other? I think we justify and we deceive ourselves and we go, well, I'll be okay. Like, listen, we can lie to ourselves to get to the places where we want to go so we get what we want. And God is saying here, you're never tempted beyond what you can handle, and there's always a way out. And God is faithful to show you that way out. Verse 17 says this, it says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul has given us a little pull by the shirt here. And he's saying it's time to face the facts. He's saying, he said, don't be foolish, but he's like, hey, stop being fools. He's just talking to these guys like, you're being fools. Stop it. He said, you want to know the will of the Lord for your life? He goes back to this old verse, new self. He's saying, you want to know the will of the Lord? He said, look at how you're walking. See, a lot of people, I think, are paralyzed to know the will of the Lord. Anybody ever been paralyzed and go, what's the Lord's will for my life, right? All of you have. We've all been, what does he want me to do? I, I want a sign from him. I want to hear his voice. We hear his voice through the word of God. That's how we hear God speak. When you read the word, God tells us how we are to live. And when he tells us how to live, we are to be obedient to how he tells us to live. He tells us very clearly in 4 and 5 how we are to live our lives. Here, there, up there again. So when we live this way, when we begin to make wise choices and we begin to walk in faith, he will do what? He will make our path straight and he will continue to reveal what he has for you to do in this world. Now, many of you have been gifted with a lot of talents, a lot of gifting. Some are gifted to be speakers and teachers, and some are good to be uh, accountants and financial people. God has gifted all of us, and you should do those things that God has put a passion in you to do. You should do those things. And as you're doing them, God has called us to be faithful to speaking the truth to others about who he is and to walk in obedience to him. And as you walk in obedience, the will of the Lord is revealed to you. 
You don't need to be paralyzed anymore. You don't need to sit there and go, please, Lord, show me what to do. Walk in faith to obedience what he's calling us to do. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this. It says, for this is the will of God. What's it say? Your sanctification. Okay, so now we know what the will of the Lord is for us. To be sanctified. So here we go in 4. It talks about as we walk in a worthy a manner worthy of our calling, as we put off the old and put on the new, as we walk in light and reject darkness, as we make wise choices, the Lord will make it clear what it is he has you to do. He will make your path straight. And it's pretty evident. If you're, if, you're, if you're walking in darkness, if you're walking in not in the light, it's hard to know where the Lord is calling you to go because it's messed up. It's distorted. We're blinded. We're running to things that are not of Christ. And Paul is imploring these Ephesians, hey, listen, don't go down those paths. Follow these things in obedience. This is how we are to make wise decisions is by being obedient to the Lord and the will of the Lord is our sanctification. Ephesians 5.18 goes on to say this. He says here, he says, and do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. I think being drunk on wine here can also be, uh, there's other addictions that come with this. It's not just talking about uh, alcohol here. So there's a couple, there's two different ways that we deal with life's pressures, right? There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering in this world because that comes with a life that we are at war with. We know that we feel it. Substance addiction is anything that we use to deal with the pressures and disappointment of life that is not in the spirit. Here, Paul is talking about the false substitute for being filled with the spirit that leaves us empty and needing more. These addictions fill us up for a little bit, make us feel good for a few minutes, but it leaves us empty and more. It is a substitute for what God really wants. Addiction is trying to accomplish the life in the spirit that it cannot. The problem with a substance addiction, it's temporary and it's a depressant. It dulls your senses to reality and, it, and, and, and that's how it tries to provide comfort. We go to addiction so we can forget, right? And it just doesn't have to be substance addiction. Oh, I'm going to go shopping or I'm going to eat a lot of food or I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to do something that distracts me from what I'm going through to make myself feel better temporarily. And many of us do that. So, so these substance addictions bring a cheap thrill, but life in the spirit brings the very presence of God. So I put a couple of these up here. So we see a substance addiction. We see that we run to drugs and alcohol to comfort us. But also there's process and behavioral addictions, shopping. Food is actually one of the hardest addictions to kick. See, if I, if I was drinking during the day, you'd probably be like, hey, Dean, why are you drinking so much during the day? There's got to be a problem. But the way we eat food, it can be in secret. We can eat junk all day long. We can stuff ourselves and nobody would ever know it. And it's one of the biggest, hardest addictions to fight. And it's sometimes some of these on the process side have the same chemical reaction as drugs and alcohol do to our brains. So when we eat food, it lights our brains up. Oh, that feels so good. I can't wait to go through another drive-thru because I want to feel good again. And we do those things. We, we try to comfort ourselves. We try to distract ourselves from the war that is raging on. So I want to ask you guys a question. Where do you guys run to when you want to be comforted? Is it the life in the spirit or is it one of these things here? Here's a couple good indicators here as you guys think about that. When something needs to be controlled, it's already out of control. Now this is what I mean. It's good to have boundaries. It's good to have things in place to keep good control. But are you aware of that? Those controls mean something's already out of control. For example, well, I can't go to a restaurant because I can't go to a restaurant and have more than two drinks because if I have more than two drinks, I get to be loud and obnoxious and I say things I don't want to. So there's obviously something that's out of control and something has to be controlled. 
So my question would be, so okay, so you're not getting drunk, you're only having two drinks, there's a good control measure in there, but is that one of these places, is that a wise decision? If you know that's a place you're out of control, why are we going up to the edge going, oh, I guess two is good, oh, maybe three tonight's okay, whoa, four, I shouldn't have done that. And we go up to this line of sin, and this is what it's talking about here. Once something needs to be controlled, it's already out of control. What is out of control for you? What is something that you want to control to say, oh gosh, I can't eat another bag of cookies. Tomorrow is the day I'm starting over. Okay, no more cookies, no more. What is out of control for you? And sometimes we don't want to be honest with ourselves to know what's out of control. The next point, so when something needs to be controlled, it's already out of control. An addiction is anything we feel that we have to lie about. An addiction is anything that we have to lie about. So you come home from work and your spouse has made dinner. No, I'm not hungry tonight. Why aren't you hungry? Ah, uh, no, I'm just not. I did have an appetite today when you went and had tons of food at drive through windows. Hey, I'm going down to hang out with the buddies. We're just going to watch a basketball game when you fully know you're going to go drink and, and smoke and do things that are really going to lead you astray. Anything that you have to lie about is already something that's probably tied to an addiction. So what do you guys run to? What do you guys lie about? And Paul is saying here, listen, we all do it. I do it. You do it. We can't be alone in it. And we've got to be able to be together on this stuff so we can help each other through this process to realize that it's way better to be filled by the Spirit. Because by being filled by the Spirit, you begin to understand, like in Isaiah 9, that we have a Lord and Savior that is the Prince of Peace. Anybody want peace in their life? He says, I can give it to you. Anybody need a counselor? He says, he's a wonderful counselor. Anybody need a father? He's the mighty father. And he says, when you come to me, I give you life in the spirit. Those things don't give you life. They give you death. But when you come to me, I will give you those things. Don't those things sound wonderful? Why do we keep lying to ourselves? And why do we keep deceiving ourselves and going back to things that don't fill us with the spirit? And we do it time and time again. But he's given us a new way. And he, Paul's imploring these people to go the new way, to live like he's called them. Now, the Lord is not asking us to live these ways because he wants to be punitive or punish us. He's, living, he's asking us to live this way because it's good for us. He's saying, it's good for you. Come with me. I'm going to show you great things. I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you peace. Why would you not want to follow me? In some ways, because of our own nature, our sin nature, we go, I think this, uh, this addiction is going to be a little bit better. I'll take that. And then we go back and back and we begin to suffer. There's a couple things I want to help you guys. If you guys are in the midst of addiction, or if you guys are in relationships where through this pandemic that have been really struggling, the first thing I want to offer you is that we have Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12-step uh, uh, Christian recovery program that meets at 7 o'clock here on Thursdays. Come, be a part of it. Stop lying to yourself and start dealing with the addiction that you have. The second thing I want to offer you guys is uh, Dr. Walt Broadbent and I are going to do a seminar for three weeks that are going to help people, based upon Ephesians here, grow in their relationships. And we help people grow in relationships. It's not about changing the other person. It's about changing ourselves so we can live healthier, God-dependent lives, that we walk in wise decisions in our relationships. And it's been very difficult during this pandemic. So in May, for three weeks, we're going to do a seminar. So if you're interested in these things, you can text NEXT to that number that you saw earlier on the screen. That's 440-276-5575 and we'll help you get into recovery or this seminar to get you the help that you need. So in Ephesians 5, 19 through 20, it goes like this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as people when they are drunk are evident, it is evident when somebody is new in the Spirit. Have you guys ever been around a new believer? 
New believers super excited, right? They want to talk about the Bible. They want to talk about what their experience is. They want to talk about how they feel free from the chains of addiction, the, the, the chains of slavery, how they're new. They want to talk about it with everybody. It's evident when they come to Christ that they're in the Spirit. And just like that, we are to be like that with one another. When we come to church, usually, we want to sing songs that talk about the truths of God, right? We want to talk about his promises, his goodness, his prayers that he's answered among us. And we come with a glad and joyful heart to go, I want to sing this to my God. But if we think about it, many of us come to church on a Sunday and we kind of just stand there going, hmm, I don't know. What time's the service over? I need a cup of coffee. We don't have that spirit-filled joy. And I would imagine that if we look back on our lives and we look about the old and new self, we go, I'm not walking in newness of life. I'm probably walking in the old self. I'm probably being deceived. I'm probably deceiving myself. I'm probably not walking, Lord. I'm probably not making wise decisions. So when I come here, it's kind of like, I don't know. But that's the exact reason why we need each other. Because when we come together, there's days where I need somebody to pick me up and say these truths to me about who Christ is how wonderful he is, how kind he is, how he's transformed others' lives. Because there's times where daily I need to be remembered the goodness of Christ in my life. And that's why we need to be in church together. That's why we need to be in a life group together. If you're not in a life group, this is why this is important. We don't put programs together just because we want something to do in making programs. This is about the body of Christ being able to come together, to read the Bible, to connect, to, have, to, to enjoy life together, to grieve life's sorrows, and to support one another with the truths of God and to encourage you. So lovingly, if somebody were to stray, we are to call them back because we love them, not to be punitive and punishing. And that's why we come together. We come together to remind ourselves the truths of who God is and to sing and to worship Him, how He's changed our lives. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's talking more about this. It's saying, Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So what's our spiritual act of worship? To live in a way that's holy and acceptable to God. So the way we live in Ephesians 4 is our worship to God. And it says, don't be conformed by the world. Well, Paul just talked about what the world looks like. He's saying, don't do that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which together, this is why we do this, because we need to be renewed every week and every day. That's why it's important to be in the Word every day, because it's God's Word. It's living and active, because we need our minds to be renewed, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. So it's telling us again. So the will of God is for us to be sanctified. The will of God is for us to worship him by how we live and act. And then we're able to do, when we do so, it says right here, we're able to discern what the will of God is. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, reaffirming how we walk in our lives reaffirms what God will in our lives. Pastor Nate Green gave me this here. Our worship pastor said this quote. I think the confusion surrounding worship is that an outward expression of raising your hands, moving your body, looking like you're into it, and feeling the energy of the music and worship is what God is looking for. But in reality, God is primarily looking for our hearts expressed in worship to him through our obedience and holy living. That's what we just talked about. Raising your hand is actually a symbol of surrender to the Lord, but only God truly sees our surrendered heart to him. The Bible numerous times talks about the lifting of holy hands and prayers to the Lord. Holy hands, only God can make us holy, and we are commanded to live holy lives. So our worship is deeply connected to how God wants us to live, not separate from him. How we live our lives is an act of worship. It says something about ourselves when we act in this way, how much we love and want to honor God with how he wants us to live. 
It's also so important, like I was just saying, it's important that we do that for each other here. That when we come here, we're able to encourage one another. It's very easy to walk out these doors today. But how about meeting somebody and encouraging them and welcoming them, asking how you can pray for them, supporting them? Because I guarantee there's people in this room that if you ask them are hurting, are scared, are lonely, and needing of encouragement. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. It's supposed to be that encouragement. Uh, Next week starts a new series called Soul Care, and we are going to be in the book of Psalms. And Psalms are going to talk about the possibility of a soul-filled, dependent life upon God. Because we know apart from God, you can nothing. But with God, you can live in an inner vitality that impacts your minds, bodies, and hearts for those who are in community and throughout the world. So this new series on soul care starts next week, and we're going to talk about how you can have that transformed heart. And thank the Lord that we have the Psalms. Because David made a lot of dumb decisions, right? But he also knew how to repent. He also knew how to worship the Lord. And he also knew what it was to walk this life out. And we need that example. The disciples were fantastic at this as well, right? They made a lot of dumb decisions, right? But at the end, they walked in faith. And they took care of each other. And they did it together as a group. Ephesians 5.21, as we close, Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. This should be how we live and act in our lives. We should be willing to submit to each other. Submission is good. You serve me, I serve you, right? You help correct me so I don't go astray. I lovingly help correct you so you don't as either. I help to do things and encourage and support. That's what it means to be mutually submissive to one another. And going forward here, we're going to pick back up Ephesians up in June. We're going to talk about how to do that in relationships. It's going to talk about the husband and wife relationship just in the next verses. Talk about parents and children and slaves and owners and all those sorts of things. It's talking about how we are to be. And submission shows evidence that we are spirit-filled and controlled. When I am at peace with God, when I'm in a good spot, I'm willing to help others. When I'm walking away from God, I'm angry, I'm I'm, I'm prideful, I'm I'm, uh, uh, self-centered. And all those things. But submission can allow us to grow not only individually, but as a corporate body as well. Our motive should be out of reverence to God, not just do it as right. And if we think about it, think about it. What did Christ do for us? Christ served us by laying his life down for us, right? He gave up his life. He left the confines of heaven and he came to earth, was fully God and was fully man. Walked 30 years on this life and for three years had a ministry of the good news about what he was going to do. And three years later, they crucified him on a cross. They put nails into his hands and to his wrists. They placed a crown of thorn on his head. They spit upon him. They mocked him. And they hung him on a cross. But he gave up his life for us. That we, the guilty one, may go free. We, the one who are prone to wander, prone to make dumb decisions, prone to walk away. He came for us that we can have new life in him. And that is the wonderful thing about what he did. And then three days later, he rose again. He submitted his life to the Father. He gave his life up for us. And in return, we surrender our lives to him because it's good for us. It's what we need to do to be able to live this life of war that we are in. The days are only going to get darker and more evil. It's going to get more difficult. And if we're not doing this together, if we're not bonding together, we're going to be struggling and sliding. But God gave up his life for us. Hallelujah. That we, the guilty ones, may go free. If you have not yet come to know Christ as Savior, there's an opportunity here. It says today in the scriptures that if you hear his voice today, do not harm your heart. So I pray that you wouldn't harden your heart, but you would come and surrender to Christ. 
that you would say, hey, I want the newness. I don't want to be in addiction anymore. I don't want to be in bond to slavery and to sin anymore. I want to be free. And God said, because of what he's done on the cross, he can free you if you ask him to transform your life. And if that were to happen, we want to talk to you. We want, as pastors, to help shepherd you, to help grow you. So you can text BELIEVE to that same number, and we want to come alongside of you and walk with you in your newness of life. If you're somebody here that's been kind of asleep, that hasn't been paying attention, that finds himself maybe lying about their addiction that they're in, or out of control in some area, God is calling you back to live new. It's not too late. God's calling you back to say, come on, follow me. This is a good way. Don't be distracted and wasting your time of the evil one. That you come and you can make wise decisions and come be a part of a body and be a body that's going to lift you up and support you and encourage you. We need to do this together. And because of what Christ did on the cross, we have that opportunity. So Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the work that you have done on the cross, that you freely and willingly gave your life up for us. Hallelujah that you are without sin and you said, you know what? For you guilty ones, you go free. So now when we stand before the Father, it's your righteousness that stands before us and we can go free. Lord, I pray that if we have not been walking that way or if we have not come to know you yet, Lord, that today our hearts would be softened and Holy Spirit, you come in and do the work of transformation. Awaken us, O sleeper. Give us eyes to see. Breathe new life into our dead, dry bones that we can live this life out that you've called us to do. And Lord, we know that it's going to be daily that we need to take off the old and put on the new because we are in a battle and it's difficult. So Lord, help us to do so. And in the midst of that, Lord, we can trust you that we have the Prince of Peace with us. We have the mighty counselor, the wonderful counselor and the mighty father. You promise those things. The same power that has raised Christ from the dead is within us. Lord, may we have that power in us to live the life that you've called us to do. We ask for that blessing. We pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, 